right, guys. Well, we are about to jump into the message this morning. As uh, Lindsay already mentioned, we've been in this series called Summer in the Psalms. And not only have we been diving deep into the Psalms, but one of my favorite parts of this series is that we've had some in-house communicators been coming up and sharing, many of them for the first time. The one this morning, no, she's an expert. She's preached multiple times here. Um, and uh, But we are diving into some more Psalms t- today. And just remember, as people are up here sharing, well, we want more than just them to do good. We want to receive what God wants to say to us through the specific Psalms that we're diving into. And today is Psalm 51. Is that right? Psalm 51. All right. So this morning, we've got the one and only former staff member, married to the executive pastor, Madeline Jones. Give it up for Madeline Jones. <laughs> what an intro. I'm going to have Larry pray over you to get started. Does that sound good? Walk-in song? Is that what you said? Yeah. Great. I'm just honor Madeline before you guys real quick and say that she's not just really good looking and she's not just a great communicator that uh, that carries a lot of charisma and uh, is convincing, but she lives out the stuff that she's going to share with us. And I get the closest look at that. And she really does. And so with full conviction, I can say that she lives out the things that she preaches. And so it's going to be a good morning this morning, but I'm going to pray over her. So why don't you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for Madeline. Thank you for uh, the depths of God that she carries inside of her. And I just ask um, that every single thing that you've put on her heart, would you uh, give her grace to present it with clarity? And I ask that it would land on our hearts this morning, God. Would you use it to, uh, to challenge us um, and to make us look more like you? Would you use it to build us up and encourage us to make us look more like you? Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Before we even get started, as we were worshiping, actually this morning as I was spending time with the Lord, I felt like there's this Hillsong song called As I Am or Take Me As I Am, something like that. And the line of it, it says, it talks about how God loves us exactly as we are, but at the end of it, the bridge says, your love's too good to leave me here. Your love's too good to leave me here. And as I was praying for you guys this morning, I felt like that's what's going to happen this morning, that his love is too good to leave us where we're at. We're going to be propelled forward. And then I started feeling like, oh, propelled forward, that sounds a little scary. You know, like, what if I like where I'm at? And I felt like the Lord actually said, you're not being propelled forward without him. So he's going to like, we're going to go together in this process. He's too good to leave us there. He's going to take us somewhere this morning, and it's going to be with him. Y'all ready for that? Okay. My name, like Larry said, and Mitchell said, is Madeline, married to Larry, and we have three little kids. Our oldest is four, and we, four and a half, and we moved here about four-ish years ago, almost four years ago. And so all Truett has known his whole life is church, church planting, building a church, so much so that the other day, or a couple months ago, I guess, we were driving, and there was, if y'all have been here on a baptism Sunday, we baptize, we baptize people in horse troughs which is very cold if it's in the winter and very powerful. We all go out there, we cheer, it's really fun. So we're driving and I'm driving my minivan, which is the greatest car of all time. If you ever need the best car, get a minivan, please, please, it's amazing. True, it looks out my front window and there's a car I'm assuming going, or like a trailer truck thing going, I'm assuming to tractor supply because it has a ton of horse troughs on it, like probably 50. And true, it goes, mom, where is that truck taking all those baptism bins? And I obviously start dying laughing. I'm like, where's the truck going with the baptismals? You know, probably the tractor to fly to feed the horses. But he doesn't know that. He thinks that's where we get baptized, you know, because he's been planning a church. 
<laughs> the last four years of his life. So just, it's fun to be here with you guys. It's been fun to grow with you guys. I've loved being in the Psalms and listening to you guys preach. I like to be in the lineup. I'm like, gosh, it feels like such an honor to be in the lineup with you guys that have preached. So encouraging and so fun. And to hear your perspective on God has been awesome. Who's been reading the Psalms with us this summer? Okay. Has it been refreshing to anyone? Okay, well, I have a confession. I actually don't love the Psalms. <laughs> if you know me, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I read the Psalms. Is it Psalm or Psalms? Psalm? Psalms? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to go back and forth. Okay. I don't love them. I can tell you why. I love the Bible. I really do. And I, I love Isaiah. I love Ezekiel. I love Romans because I am a thinker. I don't have these big, deep emotions. So as David is like pouring out his heart, I'm kind of like, oh, like stop already, you know? <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> but this summer, they have been so refreshing to me. They have been refreshing. It's been feeling like I love the summer. And so it's been feeling like a piece of watermelon or like a nice cold glass of water is what the Psalms have felt like to me. And I think it's because as I was asking God, I was like, kind of like, why don't I like them? And why do I like them this summer? One, I think I might be getting a little soft at my old age. I'm 29, so my heart's softening a bit <laughs> to God and the things of God, you know? No, but I really think that it's God's heart. Like, I feel like I'm understanding God's heart towards emotions in a way that I actually haven't before. Like, there's doubt and fear, and there's hope, and there's life, and there's insecurity and stress, and there's truth, and there's joy. And there's betrayal and friendship and everything in between. And David is just pouring his heart out on these topics. And I'm like, oh, I see you, God. And, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. So that means that every time David is, like, pleading these things and saying these things, he's, like, getting access to God's heart. He's understanding God's heart. He's declaring pieces of God's heart. And so we get to see it. So... If you have not jumped in, we got about a month left of summer in the Psalms. Jump in and see God's heart. Um, this morning, we are going to talk about Psalm 51. So you can turn there in your Bible. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read it. God, we love you, and we just ask this morning that you would move us forward. You would propel us forward in the things of God. You would create in us clean hearts. You would teach us what it looks like to have wisdom in the secret places of our hearts. You would move in our hearts this morning. We ask God that our hearts would be ready, just open hearts, ready to hear. I ask God that even if it's like the Spirit needs to speak something that has nothing to do with Psalms 51 to the people in this room, that you would do it. Just like you had, just like that crazy lady in a coma had a dream of white, of a man in white, that that would be happening in this room today. That things that you need to speak to the hearts of these people would happen. We give you full access to this time, full access to this next 30-ish minutes. And we just ask, actually really to our whole lives, but really right now, I ask for an anointing, an open heaven in people's minds and hearts. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Stand up. We are going to read Psalm 51 together. Stretch. If you're, yeah, it's like old school church. You need to stretch. You need to wake up. Here we go. It's going to be on the screen if you forgot your Bible. Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions 
and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then guilty, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you do not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifice, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. Psalm 51, 1 through 19. Amen, that's it. I'm done. I'm sure y'all got something out of that. That was the word of God. Amen. Okay, but I do actually have to complain a little bit. I know I already complained about Psalms, but I'm going to complain a little bit more. Because when I, I picked this Psalms, mind you, and when I picked it, I kind of regretted it because, listen, I like happy things. I like sunshine and fun and summer and smiling and happy. And if you just read the same Psalm I did, it's not quite so happy. It's got a little bit of doom and gloom, a little bit of sin, a little bit of confessing, a little bit of sad feels more like a winter psalm to me, honestly. <laughs> but that was until I really started digging into it. Once I really started digging into it, getting the context, understanding David's heart, then I realized actually the only way to have our full joy restored to us, the only way to understand the fullness of salvation, the only way to actually live in the summer <laughs> in our hearts, or my heart at least, is to live out this psalm and to believe this psalm and to do what it says. And I believe this psalm is David's response to his sin. I'm going to go into the story and go into the context, and I'm going to talk today as we read through the psalms, psalm what it looks like to respond to sin and how I see it spelled out in Psalm 51. But before that, I have to give you guys a little bit of context. This story, or David writes the psalm after Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him about all the bad things he did with Bathsheba. Y'all, if y'all grew up in church, you know the story of David and Bathsheba. Okay, I'm going to tell it to you if you don't know it, or just tell it to you to give you some context. It's not the happiest of stories. Like, I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't come in and made an R-rated movie about this particular story, because it is a lot. But this is David's response. And so the story is, you've got King David, and he is king of 
um, Israel, and he is, it is the spring of the year is how this passage starts. It's the spring of the year, and it says the time when the kings go to, out to battle. This is in um, 2 Samuel 11. The time that the kings go out to battle. But then in the <laughs> verse 11, it says, David remained at Jerusalem. So before we even get into the story, I just want to make a little note. David's about to make a very significant failure in his life, but before he's even made that failure, he is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And again, we're talking about sin, and we're talking about our response to sin, and I feel like before I even get started on responding to it, I need to note that a lot of times when we choose sin, we are in the wrong place at the wrong time. For example, let's say I've got terrible road rage, and every time I get on the car, every single car is my worst enemy, and I gotta get them out of the way, okay? But I also, every time I leave the house, I leave 10 minutes later than I should. So I am setting myself up for failure to be mad and every car being my worst enemy because I'm not giving myself enough space to even get to the place I need to get to. Got it? That would be an example of being in the wrong place, being in Jerusalem when you should be out fighting a battle, King David. Or let's say, for, for example, I'm a, you're addict, someone's addicted to sexual sin or something like that, and every night you are up till 2 a.m. on your cell phone scrolling, 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 scrolling not success. You are not setting yourself up for success. You are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Set yourself up for success, okay? Light, light topic. Remember summer, happy. (laughs) No. So David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It says it happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch and was walking on his roof, and he saw a woman bathing whose name was Bathsheba. (laughs) I don't know why she was bathing on the roof by his house. I don't understand that part, but she was. And she was very beautiful, and David was like, I have to have her. So his servants got her, brought her back. He laid with her in Bible terms and got her pregnant. And um, this woman, Bathsheba, was married to a man named Uriah, who was a Hittite. Come to find out, Uriah was out fighting the battle that David should have been out. So David does what a lot of us do when he realizes he has sinned and messed up. He tries to justify it and cover it up, pretend like it never happened. So what does he do? He says, bring me Uriah. And he's like, okay, Uriah, he pretty much tells Uriah, go to your house and enjoy your life. Well, Uriah falls asleep on the, pa- on the palace, like outside of the palace, and David's like, huh. That did not go according to plan. So he asks Uriah, Uriah, why didn't you go home and enjoy your wife and enjoy your life? And Uriah says, well, there's a battle out there. The ark is being threatened, and I'm not going to enjoy the things of this life because (laughs) Uriah has integrity and honor, and he knows where he's supposed to be. And so David's like, okay, and does what we do still, even deeper. I feel like when we get in sin, we just keep digging ourselves into deeper holes a lot of times. So David's like, okay, great. He invites Uriah over, tries to get him drunk, and take down his natural inhibitions in order for him to actually go back and be with his wife. Uriah falls asleep on the couch, and he doesn't, and he like ends up waking up, and David's like, oh, I'm still in a bind, you know? And so instead of repenting and confessing and bringing it to the light, David, for a third time, tries to cover it up. And this time, David, y'all know the story, David tells his army officials, he's like, put Uriah on the front lines. Put him where he's going to get killed. Oh, so now there's murder added to the list of sins. Uriah does get killed. Um, Bathsheba goes into mourning. David's like, great, problem solved, done. We're free, you know? Few, Bathsheba moves in with him, and he's like, this is all going to be fine. A few, I don't know how long it takes for people to travel, but a few months later, the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells David this story. He says, David, I've got to tell you this story. There's this rich man, and he has a lot of sheep. 
and there's this poor man, and he has one sheep. Has anyone seen VeggieTales, George and the Ducky? Are y'all all, over? yeah, every time I tell the story, I'm living George and the Ducky, you know? And he's like, anyway, <laughs> I'll sing the part. He's like, you are that man, you know? Y'all know that part? Okay, all right, we're coming there, okay? Anyway, you got David. This rich man has all these sheep, and this poor man has one sheep, and this poor man loves his sheep. He loves it like it's his daughter, you know? And the rich man decides he wants the sheep, so he takes it. And David is just livid, of course, because that's what happens with our sin, y'all. It's really easy to see someone else and be like, oh, sin, 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 sin. And then you look at your heart, and you're like, I'm good, right? I've justified it. I've covered it up. I'm good. I do that all the time with Larry. I'm like, Larry, stop getting so frustrated with our kids. And I'm like, kids! You know, Larry, be more peaceful with our kids. Kids! You know? It's way easy to see him, way easier to see him be sinful than it is to see me be sinful. That's what David did. He's like, who is this man? This man needs to be killed. You know, and that's when the famous line, you are that man. David is that man. Finally, it clicks in David's mind. Finally. He's like, oh, I've sinned. 2 Samuel 13. David responds to Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. Finally, he doesn't justify it. Finally, he, know, he owns up to it. He knows who he sinned against. And that's when Psalm 51 comes into play. And I kind of picture it as like the, the morning after Psalms. Like, you know how, if, <laughs> I'm going to say you know, like y'all are just these big sinners in this room. But like, you know how when you've like done some, something really sinful and you kind of were like, okay, I'm just going to live through this day. But tomorrow when I talk to God, I know it's coming up. You know, like, I know we're going to have to talk about this in my time with him. I know we're going to have to address it. Whether it's, like, something significant or something minor, you just, like, know that next morning when you meet with God, that's the first thing on the table. You know, it's like, you got to repent. I feel like that's kind of where David is. It's what I'm calling this, like, Psalms 51 moment. He's realized his sin, and he's like, okay. And he wakes up the next morning, and he opens his scroll that is his Bible and gets out his papyrus and his quail fit and thing. I don't know. I don't know what a Bible and journal looks like back then. He opens those things up and this is what comes out of him is Psalm 51. This is him spending time with God. What comes out of him, have mercy on me, O God, according to your self. This is like his response to sin. So that's the context of where we're at. That's where I picture David in my mind. He's like up on that same terrace when he first saw Bathsheba sitting on that couch that he was laying on with whatever it looks like to spend time with God all those years ago writing this psalm. And what's cool about it is this is like actually really, like what's, what's in this psalm is like the most raw form of like how we can respond to sin. I mean, I don't know, but like, Stealing someone's wife, getting someone killed, lying about it, covering up. Pretty sure none of us in this room have done that within the last few months. Maybe you have, and I am unaware. That's bigger. That's a bigger problem. But the, like, it's just like this is like this is as raw as it gets. This is as exposed as he can get, and he is in front of the Lord. The back part of this, like one of the last um, verses in Second Samuel, talks about Second Samuel eleven says. And David's actions displeased the Lord. And I'm like, that's where I feel like David's at. He's almost, almost like, yeah, okay, the murder was bad. Yeah, the adultery was bad. Yeah, the stealing the wife. Yeah, the lying. But the place that's like really wrecking him is that he's disconnected with God. And that's the place that he like has to go back and make right. That's his Psalm 51 moment. Four things, four ways we can respond to sin. And actually, I would say, Maybe they're in this order. Maybe not. Four ways we can respond to sin. Know, own, trust, live. I'm going to explain those, but they, they spell coddle. 
in case you were wondering about a cheesy acronym. So when it comes to sin, we don't coddle sin, we kick sin. Got it? Got it. Not the real coddle. Actually, raise your hand if you actually know how to spell coddle. <laughs> raise your hand if you have no idea how to spell coddle. C-A-D-U-A-L. A-U-L? U-A-L. Coddle. Anyway, it's very far from the real way to spell coddle. We don't coddle sin. The first way we respond to sin is by knowing God. Knowing who God is. That's what David starts with. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your, you put that up there, Lindsay, according to your steadfast love and according to your what? Abundant mercy. And I just picture David, like, I don't know who he's reminding more, himself or God. You know, sometimes we're like, remember God? Remember who you are and what you've done for me and how you've helped? Like, remember? But sometimes we're like, remember, Madeline? Like, remember? And David's like, have mercy on me. I know you're a God of mercy. I've seen it. According to your steadfast love. He's like, you know all those times that you loved me? Remember all those times you've, I've messed up? Remember all the things you brought me through? He's like, remember that, God. David, remember that. Madeline, remember that. According to your abundant mercy. He's like, remember how many times you've already forgiven me? Don't quit on me now. That's who you are, God. That's who you are. The first way we respond to sin is by knowing who God is. Like I said, I have a four-year-old son, and I love this little season of life that he's in. He's just, pre-K, kinder is like my favorite age. But he right now, he's just really quick to confess everything to me, like, and he doesn't even really, I don't even know if he knows it's sin, but, like, he's like, mom, I was saying, and I said, poo-poo in there, you know, and he just comes and tells me that, and he's like, I'm sorry, I said poo-poo, or he's like, mom, I just kicked Everly, that's his little sister, or mom, I pushed Juliet down, you know, like, he just comes and tells me these, like, little things on his heart, the little sins, little things that he knows that I'm going to give him either correction or a consequence. He knows that that is what's coming when he confesses this stuff to me, but somehow in the last four years of his life, we have created, created a safe enough place that the correction and the consequences don't scare him because he desires the relationship, and he knows that I am safe, and he knows that when I share with him the consequences and the correction, that it's not going to come I mean, sometimes I get mad, but it's not going to come out of anger or frustration. It's going to come in love because I have what's best for him in mind, and I believe in him with my whole heart, and he is my favorite person in the whole world. He knows that, and that's the same way with God. If we know who he is, then we can come to him with our sin, and there will be correction, and there will be consequences. But you, if you know who God is, then you know that he loves you with his whole heart, he believes in the best in you, and you are his favorite person in the whole world. And so when we get to come to him, if we know who he is, it's safe. Just like with Truett. <clears throat> and that's what I think, that's why I think it was so hard for David to, like, have this separation from God, you know, that God was disappointed. And it actually says that God was disappointed in what David did in Samuel, in 2 Samuel 11, not in David. And I think that's really significant, too, because I don't think, I think we think God is disappointed in us, so when we sin, it's shame and guilt and condemnation, and we just keep getting smaller and feeling smaller, but God is not disappointed in you. He created you, and he loves you, and he, he is for you. He might feel disappointed in what you've done, because it hurts his heart to see his children choose sin, but he is not disappointed in you. 
But still, David couldn't handle that. You know, he's like, I can't handle the disappointment. And I feel that way too. I'm like, I can't handle the disappointment. So that brings me to number two of coddle. (laughs) Own up. Own up to your sin, to God and to others. Finally, Daniel, I mean, I keep calling him Daniel. We've been learning about Daniel in the lion's den, sorry. David er, confesses, finally, when he realizes it, he owns up to it. Psalm, or 2 Samuel 13 says, I have sinned against the Lord. He knows who he has sinned against. And then Psalm 51, 4 says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He knows. He's owning up to it, and he's owning up to it to Nathan. I'm right in front of Nathan. He didn't, like, let Nathan tell the story and then walk away. He, like, confessed to Nathan. So it's significant to fully own up to God and to others and to repent. And I always tell people when it comes to owning up to sin, it's better to be as, like, dramatic as possible when it comes. Like, own up to the fullness of your sin. Don't leave anything out. Because that's when, that's when God can really come in and work. So, for example, if I get frustrated at my kids, let's say I've told them 450 times to put on their shoes because we're leaving. And we walk to the back door to get in the car and look down and no one's shoes are on. Has that ever happened to any parents in the room? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we walk to the car, no shoes are on, and so I'm like, oh, put on your shoes, please. I've asked you 450 times, put them on and get in the car. That's my response. Frustration, anger, lost self-control, lost patience, didn't respond to the fruit of the spirit at all, right? I could, this is an example of how you could confess. I could confess and be like, sorry, I yelled at y'all. Move on. Or I could confess and say, guys, I repent for losing my self-control and not choosing the fruit of the spirit, so letting stress take control of me and to not honoring y'all as I spoke words. And I repent for not taking the time to help you and instruct you and put on your shoes. Okay, you're like, that's a dramatic way to repent, but that's the fullness of what was going on. That is leaving nothing out as I repent. And we can do that with any of our sin. If you are addicted to masturbation and pornography, don't just confess one time you looked at it. Confess every time, every time. Get it all out. If you're mad and you're angry and you keep blowing up on people, just confess, confess, confess the fullness of your sin. And the best example I have for this is is, I was going to say, is Larry, which is bad, but it's actually about Larry's thumb, okay? It's about Larry's thumb. Um, Larry was doing some woodworking a while ago. A lot of you probably knew this, and he was chiseling something, and he got like a splinter stuck in his thumb, and it was really affecting his disc golf game and his woodworking and his life, (laughs) but no, seriously, for like two weeks, it was like causing him a lot of pain, and we talked about it. We're like, okay, Larry, like there there could be something else in there. Do you want to go to the emergency room and get it cut out? And he was like, no, I don't. But it was not healing for two weeks. It was not healing at all. Finally, Lindsay actually prayed, o- prayed over it one day. And the next morning, Larry woke up, and, like, his thumb had, like, pushed out this, like, huge piece of wood. And he, like, took tweezers and pulled it out. And it was, like, it was large. It was quite large. And it had been in there for, like, two weeks. And Larry said last night, I was telling him that I was going to tell this story, and his testimony was, he said, he said, immediately as it pulled out, there was significant relief. As the fullness of the splinter got pulled all the way out, there was significant relief. Sin is the same way. When we can fully confess it and fully own up to it, there is immediately, there is significant relief. Within a day, two days, within a week, his thumb, good to go. He could throw a backhand like no one's business. He could flick it 
all the way to hole eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> Larry loves, if y'all don't know, that's my husband, and he is obsessed with disc golf. <laughs> Fully owning up to our sin, getting out of the giant splinter, confessing it. That's when the process of freedom starts. Which brings me to point number three. Trust. Trust the process. Be okay with the process. Psalm 51, verse 7. It says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter as snow. And then it says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. You guys, sanctification is process. And the words in here, purge, create, cast, restore, wash, renew, uphold, those require action. Those require doing things. The word create in here actually says created me a clean heart, oh God. I think it's on the slide over. Verse 10. It actually is referring to like the word actually means make something new. And it's David like anticipating the new covenant promise that we actually get to live in. The Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put it within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from you, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. It's like David anticipating that. He's like, God, you gotta take this old nasty heart out and you gotta make it new. You got to because I can't live without it. And I love, I see this like little, okay, Lindsay, you might have to flip back and forth on these slides with me for a minute, okay? Go to the first one of the um, uh, Purge Me With Hyssop, where it starts there. I see this little, like, banter in here with David. So verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And I picture create, like, making something old new. So, like, in an instant, his heart is new. But renewing a right spirit is like, okay, I'm clean, I'm pure because you've made me clean and pure, but I still need you to like take away my desires and renew this right spirit in me. That's the process. Okay, go to the next one, Lindsay. And then it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Like, make me remember what it feels like to know you as my savior right now. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. But then it says, uphold me with a willing spirit. It's like, then I need you to carry me to keep believing it. I need you to carry me to keep believing because I'm gonna get tired. I'm going to get weary. So there are miracles, there is healing, there is freedom today. But the process might be a minute. You might have to be upheld. You might have to be renewed. It might take more than one day for this old heart flesh to remember that it's a flesh heart, not a stone heart. Does that make sense? But you get to live in it. You don't have to anticipate it like David did, which I'm like, that's crazy to me that David was able to anticipate it, but you don't even have to anticipate it because Jesus has already come and he's alive and that's crazy. First or Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Your stone heart is gone. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6, 5 through 6, where we have been united in him, we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are alive. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer are enslaved to sin. You are free. Your heart has been made clean. Your heart has been renewed. You might be in the middle of a process, but you are free. Got it? And as you... Um, 
finally start believing in this freedom, it brings me to the last point of coddle, live. Actually live in the freedom. Why? Because the world needs you to so desperately. Verse 13 through 15. It says, then, so David's kind of like said, give me a new heart. I need you to help me with this process. I know who God is. I've owned up to my sin, but I still, and he's like going through this whole process, these four ways of how to respond to sin. And then finally, he decides to actually live in it. And it says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God. Blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The world is desperate for your, f- for your praise. And it's even more powerful and effective when you're praising from a place of freedom. And I, time and time again, have discipled girls and walked with girls. I've seen so many people discipled over my, however many years I've been discipling people. And I, c- and I could walk through with someone and help them, you know, choose to be free from a sin time and time and time and time again. But it is so powerful. I would even say so much more powerful when someone who has overcome the sin already steps in and walks with that same person. Because there is a hope that is brought when the, whenever you are someone who is teaching transgressors the ways of God as an overcomer. Or you're someone who is seeing sinners return back to God as someone who has already walked there. You're like, I've struggled with that and I'm free. I've been there, and I'm free. How much more hope does that put in our hearts when you see the freedom in someone's life, right? So that's why we have to L, coddle, L, live, actually live it out, because there are people around you who are desperate to be free. They're looking everywhere for freedom. They're just so hungry for it, and they need your, you to believe that you are free. They need you to be walking in it to help them walk through it. And like I said earlier, sanctification is a journey. And I think sometimes, at least I, in the process of sanctification, can feel like when I've chosen to be free from the sin and I'm walking in it, but I'm like looking at Jesus, it still feels like sometimes when we're in the middle of this sanctification journey, it just gets a little hard. You know, you're like, oh, I'm done with here, but I'm not here yet, so like, what do I do? And I just want to encourage you that sanctification is a process and it is a journey, but the more you look at Jesus, the less and less appealing sin gets. And the closer you walk to him, it's like, I'm not saying it's not going to jump up and tempt you, and I'm not saying you're not going to feel it from time to time, but it just doesn't look nearly as enticing the more you look at Jesus. And I think that so many people in this room could testify to that. I mean, there's been things that, like, different, like, comparison. I used to be so consumed with comparison. I couldn't even get on a social media platform for being, like, either being, like, I want that person's life or I have a better life than them. Like, everywhere, just comparing myself right and left. But the closer I got to Jesus, the more I looked at him, the more I chose to discipline my mind and my heart and be renewed in the spirit, I'm like, I don't rarely think those thoughts anymore, rarely. But there was a time when I was so close to it that I was like, I'm never going to be free. I'm never going to be free. I'm never going to be free. So I just want to encourage you guys. You might be here and you might be like, I'm never going to be free. I'm never going to be free. But the more you walk to Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more you fix your eyes on him, the less and less appealing and attractive that's going to look. And you might wake up one day and be like, I haven't thought about it in months. And that's when you start really (laughs) feeling hope. Okay, um, band, you guys can come up as we respond. Um, I felt like there was two ways we wanted to respond, but before 
I wanted to give you those two A's. I wanted to talk about verse 16 and 17. So all of this is like just a practical response to sin. Wake up tomorrow morning. You've been covered, living in sin. Wake up tomorrow morning and do these four things, you know, coddle. <laughs> um, and but verse 16 and 17, this is kind of the posture of our heart that I want it to be like for right now, for the next 10 or 15 minutes as we actually respond. It says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. So as you respond, I just kind of want you to just open your hands and open your heart and be like, God, I I don't want to give you, (laughs) like, I don't want to come to the altar and be like, here's my nice calf and my nice life and my nice heart and everything I've got this nice and pretty. I just want you to be like, God, is there any place in me that needs to, like, bring you my broken heart? And it could be sin-related, or it could just be like, I'm feeling like I have a heart of stone, and it's really heavy, and I need you to, I'm carrying this for this person, or I'm worried about this, or whatever it is. God doesn't want a bunch of put-together people. He wants a broken and contrite heart. Golly, that's so powerful, because that means, like, you don't have to have it all together for him. And if you know who he is, like the first passage, then the best place to come with a broken heart is to him. So that's the posture that I want our hearts to be as we respond. And then I want us to respond in two ways. The first way being, like, maybe you're on this sanctification journey, and you're looking at Jesus, and you're fighting the fight, and you're doing amazing. You've been walking in purity. You've been choosing not to be angry. Whatever it is in this journey, you're walking. But you are tired, and you need the Lord to uphold a willing spirit in you. You need the Lord to renew something in you. You need someone to just pray for you and put wind in your sails and faith and hope in your heart. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're like, I just need faith. I just need hope. I have been fighting. I am tired. I am looking at Jesus, but this is hard. Come get prayer. The second way I want us to respond is like your David Psalm 51 moment. Like maybe you just need to confess it all. You just need to, this is like you woke up the next morning, your time with God, and you're like, I gotta tell you everything, God. I gotta tell someone everything because this is eating me alive. And I guess maybe the third one is just anything else. <laughs> I mean, literally, if, you're heavy, if your heart is heavy, I just feel like that Ezekiel 36 word is, like, really significant. There's, like, a lot of people that are carrying around a heart of stone when you've been promised a heart of flesh, but you just are, you just are like, this heart of flesh is so heavy, but the reality is, like, you're saying this heart of stone is so heavy, but the reality is that it's actually already been a heart of flesh. You're just carrying it around for no reason. I feel like that maybe like that's the last one or just in general that like you just need to say, okay, I'm done with this heart of stone and I'm ready to have a heart of flesh. I'm ready to believe I'm a new creation. So if you're somewhere in the process, if you need to repent or if you have a heavy heart, process, heart, no, process, repent, heart. That's how we're going to respond. I'm going to pray and we're going to do that. Thank you, God, that you are really safe. You are the safest place to come to. We don't have to be scared of the consequences or the correction because of your abundant mercy and your steadfast love because you do miracles in our hearts and you've done miracles in so many people's hearts. You have created out of nothing. You have created new hearts. And your word is just 
verse after verse after verse is just covered in promises of us being new creations because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the resurrected power of the blood of the Lamb. So help us as a church believe it today. We love you, God. In your name we pray.